My name is Dean. I'm the executive pastor on staff. And uh, if you're new with us, this is not normal for me to be up here, I'll tell you that. But welcome. I'm really glad you're here. Um, I've been on staff for about uh, almost 13, you'll be 13 years in October. And uh, I really oversee the opera. Oh my gosh, fan club. I oversee the operations, administration, finance, really anything I will do except for this, okay? This is really where I don't want to be. Patrick got me up here for the first time several months ago, and, uh, you know, I survived, I guess, so that was amazing. But some of you have emailed Patrick and told him that I should be up here again, (laughs) and I do not like you. I will say that. So, um, but I'm glad to, I'm glad you guys are here. I will say, uh, you know, um, anyway, we're going to try to get through this. It's going to be fun. Well, I want to say hi to everyone that's online. You know, Patrick's birthday is today. So happy birthday, Patrick. And uh, his mom, Carolyn's turning 80. So they're celebrating he and his brother and his sister are in West Virginia, and they're also, I hope they're there having a great time and not watching me. That's what I really hope. But uh, to everyone who's uh, online with us, my family tunes in from Washington State, so they usually chime in, so I want to say hi to everyone. Also, we have a campus in Missouri City, and Chad Harold's our new campus pastor down there. He's actually speaking live to our Missouri City folks, and then we've got a campus inside the loop at West End, Inside the Loop. So if you're down Inside the Loop or you know someone Inside the Loop, Abe is there, our campus pastor, Abe. He's a great guy as well. We also have this amazing coffee house open to the public seven days a week. It's incredible, so check it out. We've got a new summer venue we just kicked off. Our baristas over there are amazing. So that's, I'm really just trying to stall at this point. Well, we've been looking at the book of James, and James is trying to teach us, I think, that real faith should produce real results. It should make a difference in our life. You should see it. It should result in things like good works and uh, how we resolve conflict and how we respond to trials, all kinds of practical ways, practical things where your faith should show up in your life. That's what James has been talking about. Well, today we're going to talk about pursuing wealth. Oh my gosh. It's always the money talk for me. So James starts talking about money and all of a sudden I end up on the stage, which uh, I don't know how that happens. But hey, how we pursue wealth and how we make decisions in our career, I think can be an indicator of whether or not we have an authentic faith. So here's, let's take a look at what James has to say here. This is uh, James chapter 4 and verse 13, I believe, and we're going to go into chapter 5. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist, a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting 
is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted. Moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Wow. Well, James uh, doesn't uh, pull any punches, does he? I think these words create tension because, hey, we're all looking for the good life. I know I am. Hey, I, I, went into, I wanted to go into business, and uh, that was my thing. I wanted to have a big job, make a big impact, make some money. It's all going to be great. We're all trying to pursue more money. I understand this. More money means a nicer house, nicer car, uh, nicer options for our kids, better education, all the rest of it. Uh, better food, better experiences, better vacations, better, uh, better uh, post on our Instagram, right? It's all, all there if we just had more money. And sometimes there's also this fear that drives us as well, this fear of, um, that we won't be successful. Or maybe it's a fear of failure or a fear of not having enough or a fear of being poor or a fear of being irresponsible, all driving us toward this pursuit of Wealth, But James seems to suggest that the pursuit of wealth in and of itself isn't going to take us to the promised land like we might think. And he talks about gold corroding in our pockets. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we kind of know that there's some truth to this. We find that that stuff ultimately doesn't satisfy our soul. Often when we get the dream house, whatever the thing is that we're thinking about We'll do it. When we get it, what we find is that there's just another, another thing to get, another thing out there that's elusive, that, um, that becomes the new thing, the new dream. So often it just fuels a desire for more. And sometimes that can just, our desires, our selfish ambition that James talks about can lead to all kinds of conflict in our relationships. And the third thing I wonder is maybe our pursuit of wealth might cause us to miss out on a better life that God intended. So I thought of a few questions that I could ask that maybe, maybe they could help us uh, diagnose whether our faith is real when it comes to our career or our pursuit of making money. So here's the first question. Is God directing our life or is the pursuit of wealth driving our life? What's really driving us? Is it this pursuit of wealth, this career kind of ambition? It might be a better question is, when we get offered a promotion or a career change, how do we make that decision? Do, how do we consider the people that we love most in our life, our family, our spouse, our kids, as we evaluate that promotion, that thing, that career opportunity that's out there. And it might be the right move, but are we humble enough to pray and ask God to lead us in that decision so that we can really assess, is this the right decision for my marriage, for my kids? Is this the right decision for me? I was talking to a, a friend of mine in South Carolina a few months ago 
and uh, he's a little older than me, and uh, he had an amazing opportunity. Two different CEO jobs were offered to this guy in his industry, and uh, he was telling me about it and how torn he was. He couldn't figure out which position, which CEO job to take. What an incredible thing. And he said, one option, the founder of this company was retiring, aging out, and they were looking to hire a CEO to replace him and to grow, continue to grow this business and take it to the next level. And my friend said, man, it is right in my wheelhouse. I know I could do that. And uh, it'd, be, it'd be a cakewalk, really, for me. But the second job, uh, he said, had the potential, had a huge potential financial windfall for him. But it was a venture capital company that bought a business. Their goal was to take that business and grow it and be, go public as fast as they can. So grow it and sell it. Everyone makes a ton of money. He says, but I know what it would take to do that. It would take a ton of work. I mean, it would be a big sacrifice, a ton of hours to be able to do what the VC firm wanted them to do, a ton of pressure, and then go public. But he goes, like, the financial rewards are staggering. I said, well, what does that mean, financial windfall? He said, well, I'll tell you this. My grandkids would be financially set. He said, not only that, but I wouldn't have to fly commercial anymore. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my gosh. No more TSA lines for this guy. I'm like, oh, I, don't, I was just trying to get the first class. I, I don't even think about what flying private might be like. And uh, so he's, he's truly torn, though, between the two decisions. Asking me for advice, I'm freaked out. I'm like, I, I, I try to punt. I'm like, what's your wife think you should do? And uh, he, said, uh, he said, my wife's totally open, doesn't have an opinion. And I'm like, what kind of world are you living in? I don't know this world. Flying private, wife has no opinion, totally supportive, either way, whatever you want to do. So uh, I just said this. I said, hey, I would get really clear on what your values are. What's more important to you in this season? What's most important to you in this season of your life? And then make the decision that's most consistent with those values. Well, I heard a couple weeks after that that uh, he had taken the, the job that uh, was slower growth, more comfortable, more in his wheelhouse. I was just on the phone with him Thursday, and he just said, I'm so grateful I took this job and not the other one. He was so enjoying the time he was getting to spend with his wife now because his previous job that he had just left just required a lot, of his, a lot of his effort, and he didn't have those, that kind of time to spend with his wife every day. So I wonder, you know, had the pursuit of wealth been his primary motivation, I wonder if he would have missed out on a better life that God had planned for him. And this is kind of true in my life as well. You know, I graduated with the MBA in 1999. And, um, you know, I was kind of looking for a big job, but I did pray. I did. I asked God, I said, would you lead my life? And I meant it sincerely. I said, close doors, open doors. I really want your will in this gig. Well, in 1999, Houston, Texas, uh, 
University of Houston, my friends and colleagues were all getting jobs. There's two primary most prestigious companies at that time in the city. One was Enron and one was Arthur Anderson and they would both go bankrupt in a couple. Now my friends are doing fine, but I ended up at a broke nonprofit association. That's where I ended up. We were, in fact, there was four employees at the time. I had to lay off two people because we had no money. That was the first thing I had to do. But looking back on that, and I spent 10 years of that organization, I'm so grateful for what God taught me, how much I learned through that whole experience. So many life lessons, so much character development was done in me. Well, I learned I had to grow up, and I did at that organization. I had to grow up pretty quick. And, uh, but God used that experience in amazing. He prepared me for the, I, I never saw any of this coming. So I'm so grateful that God directed me to a step that I would never really have picked, I don't think, had I just been pursuing my own, my own dreams. Second question, are we hoping in a long-term plan or do we live with eternity in view? James says this, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Friends, we're now doing more than 60 funerals a year here at River Point. That's more than one a week. We just had two this week. In fact, uh, my wife was just called. We had a, a member that just uh, died in an accident this, I think, late last night. She had to leave and go spend time with that family. I'm telling you, when you kind of do this kind of work, you really see this firsthand when you're involved in so many funerals, so many lives lost, many tragically. And I'm telling you, life is short. It, it reaffirms that, that what James is saying, life is short. This cancer thing is awful. And uh, we don't know how, how our days will end. We think we have this very long-term plan at times, and we have no idea. And Anne, my wife, is really just kind of, we've just, we've been talking more about this. Like, let's not wait till we retire before we spend time with our kids. Take time off. Spend time with each other. So are you taking time off? I mean, simple things like that. Are you taking some vacation to spend with your kids, with your wife today? Or is everything planned for some kind of future season that may or may not ever come? Are you just working your plan or does your plan need to change in light of your relationship to God and trusting Him with your life? Third question, are we hoarding or are we helping? Are we hoarding or are we loving? And I mean, this has been a challenge to me, this idea of hoarding, because I'm a saver and I got anxiety about retirement. I'm not sure I've got a great plan. In fact, I know that my plan for retirement isn't perfect. It's not all dialed in. So in light of that, light of my concern for my future security, my tendency is just to save, 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 save. 
But the problem is, is I don't think there's enough money to save for me to cure my anxiety. So I have to learn to trust God. And I got to learn that, um, that I can have a plan, but my hope is not in my plan. And Anne has, has really challenged me, said, no, we're going to spend some money today. We're going to spend money on our marriage, on these kids, on our house. And, um, and so I'm learning contentment. I'm learning that my anxiety can't be quenched on just saving more and more money, and there's never a right amount, that, uh, that we've got to enjoy this, this. I have a life because of my wife. There's no doubt about it. And I so appreciate her. And James talks about wealth corroding and stuff rotting. And I was just reminded of what Jesus said about this in Matthew. I think I mentioned this last time. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. I've been thinking about this, this issue of, of love and, uh, and loving people. And I'll just say this. I don't think it's enough to just love your kids or love your wife in your heart. And... Uh, you may believe that, that is true, that, hey, I love my kids, I love my wife. But if it's not a love that's expressed, I don't think it's going to be a love that impacts them in a, in a deep and, uh, and ongoing way. I don't think it's going to make a big difference if it's a love that's not expressed. A love that makes a difference and makes an impact is a love that shows up for others. A love that puts others' needs first. A love that's present for our kids and for our wife. A love that shows up. A love that invests in others. When my eldest daughter went into crisis, I couldn't afford the bills to help her. And I'll never forget the few people that came into my life that helped me financially meet those bills. People that invested made an amazing impact in her life, and I will never forget. And I want to be someone like that that also invests in others and makes that kind of difference in other people's life. I'll tell you a quick story on how I'm, I'm trying to figure this thing out to learn to love in a tangible way. My daughter, my youngest daughter's nine years old, and uh, I got home from work one night, and uh, she, my daughter, and, and my wife weren't home, so I'm there alone wondering where they're at, and uh, soon they pulled in, and uh, all of a sudden, here come the Target bags, right? Target bags coming in, and I'm full of anxiety going, oh my gosh, is this in the budget? What do we... You know, I can do an instant inventory of our entire house in about three seconds and conclude very quickly, we don't need a single thing from Target. And, uh, but here they come. Here come the Target bags. So I'm kind of grumpy, trying to stress something. Uh -huh. And uh, my daughter, Lyndon, Drops the bag, pulls out a pool bag. 
This is, uh, you know, about a month ago when summer's starting. She says, Dad, you got to check out this pool bag. Here it is. It's got four compartments. You've got a compartment for your towel. You've got a cover up here. Your water bottle goes here. Your cell phone goes. Is this not amazing? I'm like, yeah, Lennon, that's great. Very insincerely. And she stops. She looks at me. She says, Dad, you have three daughters. You're going to learn. You're going to have to learn to get excited about the things we get excited about. So I got a lot to learn. Heck, we all got a lot to learn. Uh, we're all in this thing. I get it. Yeah. Number four, last one. Are, you, are we generous? Are we giving or are we waiting to give? And I think about young people sometimes. You know, my, my uh, two daughters just graduated from college. They're starting their lives. And uh, I think that we have this tendency to want to wait to become generous or to become a giver, as if there's this, there's this certain salary that we need to make before we give. I don't think that's true. I think the time to give is today, to work this thing out, restructure our plans so we can be a giving people. And the time to start is when you're young and you don't make a thing. I think it's the lemonade stand, quite frankly, but it's, it's when you're young. That's the time to put this this into practice. The time to start is before you own a car, before you sign that lease agreement, before you buy a house, before you get married, before you have kids, before those kids go to college, okay? That's the time to give. Generally, life just becomes financially more complex and it becomes harder and harder to start. So I want to challenge you. Hey, I think this is something we got to teach our kids. Teach your kids to give. They're going to roll their eyes at you and think you're crazy, okay? And that's okay. Develop this habit. You know why I think that's okay if they roll their eyes? I just, this just happened to me this, this two weeks ago. Again, nine-year-old Lyndon, I personally, and I hope no one else is like me, but I don't like people eating in the car and getting stuff all over the seats and drinks all over this, all the stuff. And for some reason, girls like to have their shoes on the seat or on the dashboard or anywhere but the floor. <laughs> and we're making a mess every, and I got French fries under the seat. What is happening here? What, why do I have a French fry? Why is there a French fry underneath the seat? So this is a daily battle with my daughter, right? And every time, she's like, oh, dad, you're so mean. You're just weird. Oh, my gosh. What's wrong with French fries? And uh, so I'm, I'm, I think I'm just exacerbating this poor child. And uh, two weeks ago, grandparents show up. They had just bought a new car several months before. Show up in the new car. The cousins are all piling into the back seat. Lyndon's one of them. She's not the oldest one, but she thinks she's in charge. So she starts giving orders. All right, everyone, make sure your feet are not on the seats. This is grandpa's new car. No drinking, no eating. I'm like, who are you? I'm so frustrated and so proud all at the same time. Like, oh my gosh, how, you've been catching this. Why don't you do this in my car? <laughs> so we got to teach our kids to give. You know, giving is an amazing antidote 
to selfishness. And selfishness creates so many problems in our relationship. So many problems for me. Is that me? Is that because I'm new? What is happening here? I think some of the speaker's about to blow up any second. Let's shut this thing down. Hey, I'll tell you. Please. Email Patrick and tell him, okay, we're done now. That's good. Two times is all we got. Hey, I think James would tell you that your pursuit of wealth should be impacted by your faith. It should make a difference. Your faith should make a difference in how you pursue the American dream and how you pursue wealth and your career choices. I think it should make a difference. You know, the whole book of James, though, is so many practical things, practical results of what it looks like to trust God, to have a relationship that grows in our faith that results in our life beginning to change, our values starting to change in our heart. So I just want to remind you, it's not about the results. Really, the call in James is to take a look at your faith, to take a look at your relationship with Jesus. You don't trust someone you don't know. So maybe we all need to begin to know Jesus in a deeper way or in a new way. So I think as we spend time with him and we learn to trust him with our life and we figure this thing out that maybe his ways are better than our ways, that then our life will begin to change in an amazing way. Let me pray. We'll get out of here. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for encouraging us. God, I just thank you that we can trust you. You've got an amazing plan for our life that looks so different often from what we would pursue or what we would dream. So God, I just pray that you would draw us to yourself, that we would unclench our fist, our control of our own destiny and pursuing our own desires. May we consider Maybe you have something better in store for us than we have for ourselves. God, would you continue to lead us and direct us in this path? Encourage us to encourage each other along the way. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.